I don't know if you thought that the um, title for the sermon this evening was a bit odd, but uh, that is the theme uh, from um, All We Can, and obviously a play on words of the four alls of John Wesley, which you all know very well. So I don't need to repeat them. There we go. Now, the final slide uh, on, the, uh, on the PowerPoint is not from All We Can. Uh, I actually discovered this slide when I was preparing for the children's talk uh, a few weeks ago. And some of you will remember, no doubt, what I spoke about. Uh, every year, the Oxford English Dictionary chooses a word of the year. And this is generally determined by the most important word or words or expressions in the public sphere during a specific year. Now, with this in mind, the children's... I didn't know this existed until I saw this... The Children's Dictionaries Department of the Oxford English Dictionary have announced the Children's Word of the Year for 2016. Uh, it is refugee. Now, if any of you are regular listeners to Chris Evans on Radio 2, I must, I must admit I did desert when Terry Wogan left, but if you are still a regular listener to, to Chris Evans you'll know that a competition takes place uh, in which young people aged between 5 and 13 are invited to compose an original story of fiction on any subject or theme, but they mustn't use more than 500 words, okay? And this year's 500-word competition received 123,500 entries. Isn't that great? 123,500 entries. And understandably, given the events of the past year, the word refugee featured heavily. And, and get this, with a 368% increase compared to 2015 stories. A 368% increase. Our children are really switched on, you know, our youth, very switched on. And so hence the word refugee was chosen. Now one of the major problems or challenges, if you prefer to call it, facing the world today is the growing number of refugees. And according to the United Nations, more than 43 million people worldwide are now forcibly displaced as a result of conflict and persecution. That is the highest number since the mid-1990s. Now, major refugee populations include Palestinians, Afghans, Iraqis, Somalis, Congolese, Colombians, and Sudanese. And there are many other more uh, displaced people groups. And the complexity of the problem, because it is a complex problem, as well as the many and vocal interest groups concerned, makes it difficult to comprehend refugee issues. What we do know is that all refugees have been deprived of their homes and have very uncertain futures. And since the conflict in Syria began in March 2011, over 4.8 million Syrians have fled from their country because of violence, because of conflict, and because of a complete collapse of Syria's infrastructure. 
most of Syria's refugees have no prospect of returning home in the near future amid a conflict that has become increasingly complex and intractable. 95% of those refugees are in the countries immediately surrounding Syria. So they're, they're in the neighborhood, okay? And these refugees have limited rights and often arrive with urgent need for food and water, the basics that we have here, for safe shelter and basic services. And as was said on the PowerPoint there, the most vulnerable tend to be female-headed households and children, as well as households that include people with disabilities. All we can responded to this crisis in March 2013. So there's been some work going on here for some years. And it's hoped that some of the resources, and we've only just seen a little bit of it this evening, but if you go onto the All We Can website, you'll see a lot more there. But some of those resources uh, provide information as seen through the eyes of Roger Walton and Rachel Lampard and help us to grow in our understanding of the situation refugees face. And these resources also help us to understand the needs that refugees have and how All We Can's support is actually making a difference in these people's lives. And over the last year, the refugee crisis has appeared heavily in the media. We all know that. It's featured prominently in political debate and particularly has prompted concerns in our local communities. And it's been suggested that this is reflected in last week's referendum decision. So how are we to consider the refugee crisis in the light of our Christian faith? Because we are meant to engage with it. You understand that, I know that. We don't pretend that it's not happening. It is, and we're called to make a response. And so we use the two Bible readings that we've heard this evening. The Deuteronomy passage that Amelia read is one of many that tells us that God does not show partiality in how he values people. But, but... He does show particular concern for the most vulnerable in our society, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the poor, because they are most likely to be victims of injustice and oppression, those things that God abhors. And so to ensure that their rights are met and, and upheld, God instructs the people of Israel in Deuteronomy to adopt a number of laws and practices. Some of those include allowing the practice of gleaning, and we see this in the story of Ruth, actually, who's a foreigner in that story. The gathering of leftover grain by the vulnerable after a harvest. Giving a foreigner full citizenship rights and ensuring that the vulnerable have access to justice. It's there in Deuteronomy. And on the occasions when the people of Israel failed to uphold these laws and practices, God spoke out against this 
through raising up prophets. And to help the people of Israel relate to the foreigner and to identify with their needs and to seek justice for them, God reminds them, you know, once too, you were foreigners as well. And you were in need of love. And you need to remember that. And this is a situation that can potentially befall anyone. And so turning to Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, his letter to the Corinthians is an interesting one because it's written against the background of a strained relationship between Paul and the members of the church. But in the passage that Wes read tonight, Paul broaches a subject which is very dear to his heart, raising a collection among the Gentile churches to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem who had been hit by outbreaks of famine. This is not the first time the Corinthians have heard about Paul's project, this project that is very close to his heart. He wrote about it in his first letter. And so we pick it up here, and Paul says, I'm sending Titus to Corinth to receive your contributions. And this is the gospel according to Keanu Saunders. Is it possible, I wonder, is it possible that when Paul initially suggested to have a collection, the idea was embraced by the church members. But by the time he came to giving, this benevolent gesture had disappeared off the radar. It's just a thought. Is that why Paul sent Titus to chibi them along? You agreed to do this, now let's get to it. I don't know. But here Paul draws the church at Corinth's attention to the outstanding generosity of the Macedonian church. There is a really important point here. The Macedonian church did not give out of their surplus. They gave at great cost to themselves. They also gave when they themselves were in a difficult position and undergoing trials, not when their lives were very comfortable and easy. A point sometimes raised when considering whether refugees should be helped is that it will have a negative effect on our own communities. When we help other people meet their basic needs, there is likely to be a cost to us. That's the reality and to our communities. It may not just be financial. It could be a cost to our own comfort and quality of life. And Jordan provides an example of a country which has shown incredible hospitality to hundreds and thousands of refugees. But the increase in population has given them additional demands. And Jesus, too, demonstrated just how costly loving can be. 
And note here the attitude of the Macedonian church in their giving. They don't give stubbornly or through coercion, but willingly and full of joy. It's all about grace, you see. Christ became poor so that we might become rich. And when we understand that, and when we experience that, the natural response is that we give and share too. Not because somebody's telling us to, but because we want to, out of the abundance that we have received. But there's more going on here than raising money to meet a genuine need. This gesture would be a significant expression of the unity of the Jewish and Gentile sections of the church. That is very important. And Refugee Week highlights our opportunity to contribute to the right of all, to a fair, um, to fairness on a number of levels, socially, economically, and educationally. And there are plenty of opportunities for us to do that. I was speaking to Nana Okram at lunchtime about the welcome boxes we are providing for refugees and migrants here. You need to know that she needs more volunteers. More volunteers to distribute these boxes. And I ask you to prayerfully consider that on Refugee Sunday. If you can't do that, perhaps you'd like to respond to the notice in Outlook. There are items that are needed. We don't deliver empty boxes. We need items to put in them. The advice that Paul gives in his letter the instructions that we find in Deuteronomy are really very, very timely for our day and age. And we too, like those Israelites in Deuteronomy, and like the recipients of the letter in Corinth, are called to respond to the need that we see, not just because it's our duty, even though it is, but rather out of love for those who are also made in the image of God. And so with that in mind, we sing our next hymn. Beauty for brokenness, hope for despair. That's what the Christian faith offers, hope for despair. Lord, in your suffering world, this is our prayer. Remembering that you, each of you here, are part of the answer. And so we dedicate ourselves to God as we stand and sing this hymn.